Thank you, Tim. Should we bow our heads and pray? Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, the Bible. Thank you for your spirit who opens it up into our hearts and minds. We pray that he would be at work this morning as we listen to your words. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why would someone like Margot go to Tanzania? Whether you know her very well or not so well this morning, perhaps you've asked that question. She's already left her South African homeland twice. Why change country again? And this time not to study in the US or to come and make her home in London, but as we've heard, to live somewhere three hours drive from the nearest town. And that is if it's not the wet season. We all had to make do without WhatsApp and Facebook for six hours this week. Marga's going to be doing that 24-7. Why make that decision? Well, perhaps you've already asked Margot questions like that yourself, and she gave some formal answers earlier in the service. But actually, we really need to ask a different question. Not so much why would Margot go, but why did Jesus come? Because whether we're Christian people or not this morning, that is the question that impacts the rest of our lives. Not whether we go to Tanzania or not, well, not so much whether Margot goes to Tanzania, but what the rest of us do with the rest of our lives. And this passage, this brilliant story this morning is going to help us. So it's quite a long story. Uh, so to help us unpack it, we're going to study it in five scenes. And Margot, I hope these lessons will be useful to you, but I trust they'll be useful for the rest of us as well. Let's begin with verses one to five, the claims of Jesus. The claims of Jesus. It's as if Jesus' disciples believe in some version of bad karma. Whose fault is it that this man was born blind? Jesus quickly corrects them in verse 3. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Where Jesus' disciples see tragedy, Jesus sees opportunity, an opportunity for God to get to work. Verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Well, the Bible is full of surprises, and sometimes it's worth just pausing at those surprises because we see something that God is meant to teach us. Did you notice the surprise in that verse? Why does Jesus say, we must do the works of him who sent me? Because he's the one who's going to go and heal this blind man. Who else is in the we? Well, it could be his disciples, couldn't it? They're going to share in God's work with Jesus. And that would fit really well with a commissioning service as Margot goes to Tanzania to share in God's work. But I don't think that is exactly what Jesus means. More likely, Jesus is referring to himself and the blind man. That's the we. Together, they're going to do God's work. We're going to see later on what work the blind man has to do. But just for now, notice the work that Jesus claims to have come to do. Verse 5. While I am in the world... I am the light of the world. See, the disciples want to know the blind man's backstory. Jesus says that his backstory, his identity, is much more important to understand. Because Jesus' extraordinary claim is that people can look at him and see the one true God. C.S. Lewis, the author of the Narnia stories, captures this brilliantly. Should be a quote up on the screen. He says, 
I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. Let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to, because his claim is that people could look at him and see the one true God. What do you make of Jesus' extraordinary claims? Have you heard them before? Have you thought about them seriously? Have you ignored them or tried to explain them away? Have you ever read an eyewitness account of Jesus' life? What is your response to Jesus' extraordinary claims? Well, perhaps it's a bit like those who first heard him. This is the second scene, the confusion of the crowd, the confusion of the crowd. A friend of mine once had a blinding and debilitating eye condition. After a long time, the surgeons were able to give her a new cornea, the outer lens of the eye. And it's a lot better, but it's still not totally fixed. But what does Jesus do? He heals this man's whole eyes perfectly. And just as God created human beings out of the dust of the earth, so Jesus recreates this man's eyes out of wet dust, mud, He does that deliberately. The symbolism is very deliberate. He wants people to see that he is the creator, God. And no wonder the crowds are confused. They've never seen anything like it. And so they ask, is he the same man? Or does he just look like him? The man says, no, it is me. But still they're not sure. Verse 10, how then were your eyes opened? And he repeats the details we've already read about the miracle. But still it's not enough. They say, no, we want to speak to the miracle worker himself. We want to hear his account of things. Where is he? Nobody knows. And so they do what any first century Jew would do. They get the religious experts to investigate. Verse 13. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. Well, the Pharisees, they had lots of like mini laws to help God's people keep God's big laws, like the Sabbath law. And that is why they say how, they want to know how Jesus healed this man. They want to know, has he done some work on the Sabbath? Has he broken God's law? And the man's answer confirms the suspicions. He put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Perhaps he's an imposter, a religious charlatan, a magician. If so, they better warn the people. Watch out for this dodgy guy. But some people, including the blind man himself, reach a different conclusion. Others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. Confusion reigns. Is Jesus a con man, a religious charlatan, or a legitimate spokesman for God? And where has he gone? Perhaps we could imagine ourselves in that sort of situation. Because confusion still reigns about Jesus today. Can we trust what the Bible says about him? What about what our Christian friends think? Why is the church sometimes so confused and divided about Jesus? Why doesn't he make himself clearer 
Is he hiding from us, rather like he seems to be hiding from this crowd in Jerusalem? Where can we go to get answers? Well, if that is your confusion today, be encouraged, because it's not the end of the story. Clarity can come for us, just as it does come for this blind man. But before the fog clears, we must move on to the next scene. Thirdly, the cowardice of the parents. The cowardice of the parents. The Pharisees decide that it's time for a quick parent-teacher consultation, a quick five-minute conversation with, this problem, with the parents of this problem pupil. So they say, yes, he's our son. Yes, he was born blind. But, verse 21, how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know, ask him. Well, if the neighbors know what happened, it's hard to imagine, isn't it, that the parents don't know what's happened. So why won't they answer? Fear, verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. See, the stakes are high, and they realize that. Jesus has healed their son, but maybe Jesus is also the Messiah, God's ruling and rescuing king, the one promised from long, long ago. If the parents speak Jesus' name, are the Pharisees going to count them as believers in Jesus, the Messiah? Are they going to mark them out as, as religious, uh, sorry, as heretic turncoats? Just imagine the social ostracism that is coming their way. Barred from the synagogue, shunned in the streets, no longer invited out for dinner, gossiped about behind their backs. Look at them. They've joined that cult. Don't talk to them anymore. Well, maybe cowardice is too harsh a word. Maybe compromise would be better. They don't put their head above the parapet. They play it safe. And aren't we inclined to often be a bit like that? If we're Christian people here this morning, don't we sometimes feel the pressure, just like those parents did? We believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but we know that believing in him is costly. What will it be? Maybe we'll be held at arm's length by our family. Maybe we'll be looked down upon as the odd religious one at work. Maybe we'll be talked about behind our backs by acquaintances and friends. Watch out for her. She's one of those proper Christians. Don't get too close to him. He's one of those fundamentalist types. And if you're not yet convinced about the claims of Jesus, maybe that fear, that cowardice, that compromise resonates with you too. What would people think if you became a Christian, started to follow Jesus? What would you miss out on? How much would you stand out from the crowd? How awkward would it be? Cowardice compromise, fear. It is a very natural response. But God is calling us to a much better response. And to, to see that, let's turn back to the blind man, the courage of the blind man, the courage of the blind man. So the Pharisees give him one last opportunity to change his story. Stop messing around. Agree with what we've decided about Jesus. He's a sinner. But this man is not for turning. Whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, I was blind. But now I see. Still, they keep on looking for cracks in his story. And finally, the blind man has had enough. Verse 27, he answered, I've told you already and you didn't listen. 
Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? It is brilliant, mischievous sarcasm. But it's also amazing courage. Up till now, where did this man start this story? On the street, begging. Now, here he is, standing up to some of the most powerful people in the, in the land, cutting them down to size. What courage. He cannot be doing with their cynical refusal to think honestly about Jesus anymore. He clearly thinks of himself as a disciple of Jesus, even if he's never seen him with his eyes. And so he says, look, do you want to become his disciples too? If not, just go away and leave me alone. Unsurprisingly, the Pharisees don't take his back chat too well. You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. Well, I don't know if you remember a while ago now, opponents of Barack Obama used to say, didn't they? He's not even American. He wasn't even born here. He has no right to be our president. And it's the same idea here. Any conspiracy theory, any straw to clutch at, any excuse not to listen to Jesus, all dressed up in terms of being kind of religious and good. We're disciples of Moses. But the man's courage continues. And over the page, verses 30 to 33, it's as if he says, do the maths, look at the data. Everything we know about God tells us that he, he doesn't listen to sinful people, he listens to godly people. Now, this man, Jesus, he opened my eyes. Now, I think he must have prayed, and God must have answered that prayer because, look, my eyes are open. So, do you think he's a sinner, or do you think he's from God? It is brilliant courage. But the disciples won't listen a moment longer, and so the blind man, the once blind man, faces the consequence that his parents feared, and he's thrown out, excluded. And so ends the story, until the man who started it all off steps back onto the stage. Finally, the call of Jesus, the call of Jesus. Jesus has done his work by opening the blind man's eyes. Now it is time for the man to do the work that only he can do, put his faith in Jesus. So Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So we've seen confusion and cowardice and courage. But now for this man, there is only clarity. No more doubt, no more questions, simply faith. As he believes in Jesus and falls on his knees and lays his life down at his feet and worships him. But then, he disappears, and we hear nothing else of him. And Jesus speaks to the wider crowd, and through them, to you and me as well, calling us to trust him. Verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin, but now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Well, we said earlier, didn't we, the question is not so much why would Margot go, but why did Jesus come? And Jesus tells, her, tells us here exactly why he came. He came to divide 
the world. He is the divine light that reveals God, but also the dividing light that judges humanity. The blind man began that day physically blind and spiritually blind. He ended it with his eyes open and his spirit open. The Pharisees weren't physically blind, and they didn't think for a moment that they were spiritually blind. We see that especially in their last words to the once blind man. Look back to verse 34. You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? You see, they wouldn't allow the light that Jesus was shining through this once blind man to shine into their lives. They were respectable, upstanding, good citizens, just like you and me, I suspect. But they refused to let Jesus teach them the, tr the truth about himself through this blind man. See, you and I are just like them. Given half a chance, we throw Jesus out. We ignore his truth. We silence him. We try to extinguish the light. Just like them. But Jesus is a light that won't go away. A bit like the sun. We see by the sun's light, don't we? But the sun's light can also blind us. And if we ask Jesus to help us see reality by his light, he will open our blind eyes. If we refuse his light, he will blind us. And our sin, the guilt the Pharisees were so keen to stick on Jesus, will remain on us instead, just like Jesus says it remains on you. And we face an eternity in the darkness, thrown out by God. And yet Jesus says, I can still open your eyes. I can bring you back into the light. How can that happen? How can that happen, especially if we have spent our whole life, maybe like this blind man, blind from birth, spiritually blind from birth? Well, the answer is hinted at all the way back at the beginning of the chapter in verse 4. Jesus says, night is coming. Night is coming. When did the night come? when Jesus died on a cross. The, that, the night before he died, he was having supper with his friends, and, and one of his friends, Judas, went out, and John, the gospel writer, says, and it was night. And then the following day, in the middle of the day, night fell as the light of the world died. And as he endured the darkness, the judgment of God that ought to have engulfed us, he did it so we don't have to. And then three days later, as the light dawned on the third day, he rose again. And now he calls you and me into his light to put our faith in him, to have our eyes opened, to worship him as Lord. So how will we respond to what we've heard today? What effect will the coming of Jesus have on the rest of our lives? Well, perhaps we're confused these things are new to us. If you've never heard these things before, that's okay. It's not surprising. It's a pretty big claims. But if we're confused, let's keep looking for the light. Why not read the Bible with our Christian friends? We've got these word one-to-one -one booklets. We'd love to read them, read the Bible with you. We've got some Gospels of John you could take afterwards. Or maybe you're aware of cowardice or compromise in your life. The cost of becoming a disciple of Jesus or the cost of living boldly as a disciple of Jesus feels too great for you. What if we're afraid or we see others 
fearful of following Jesus, let's not forget the blind man, the courage of the blind man, because little by little it grew, even in the absence of Jesus, until he spoke up and he stood up. We might not know all the answers that people perhaps throw at us or that we're aware of in our own hearts. If we're followers of Jesus, though, we can still say, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. We are simply once blind men and women pointing blind people to the light of the world. And Margaret, that's all you are too. A once blind woman pointing others to the light. So if you go to Tanzania and you see confusion and, and cowardice and compromise and fear, don't worry. Jesus promises to shine his light for you just like he shone his light through this man. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Jesus claims to be the great eye surgeon the great revealer of God. He calls us to open the eyes of our hearts, to put our faith in him. Will we do that today? Will we step out of the darkness, if we've never done so before, and walk in his light? Should we bow our heads and pray? Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you are clear about yourself. You claim to be the light of the world, that we can look at you and see the one true God. O oh Lord, if we're confused or afraid, help us, O oh Lord, to look to you. Would you shine your light into our lives this morning? Help us to have courage if we are your disciples. If we're not your disciples, but we sense we hear your call in our life, help us to have courage to come to you. And Lord, help us to be able to say, one thing I know, I was blind, but now I see. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to invite Stu, who's going to lead us in some more prayers.